everyone. Happy New Year. May all your wishes come true. It's been a while since my last episode. What changed? I'm not in the UK anymore. Actually, I'm in Kazakhstan, which is my native country. In this season, I wanted to focus on the sustainability. Here in Kazakhstan, I understood the importance of having a good ecology. Sometimes it is easy to forget how it can affect us. Therefore, expect to hear from professionals and citizens who decided to choose a greener lifestyle. So stay tuned. If you all heard about Greta Thunberg, in today's podcast, I had a conversation with an organizer of Fridays for Future, CAF, an organization that was established by Greta. We discussed about a lot of interesting issues from importance of activism and the role of the government in tackling the climate crisis. So the thing is, what I learned from this episode is that we really don't have much time to save our planet and we need to act now if we want to do something. So I hope you'll like this episode and it will be a lesson for you too. Okay, so hello Kat, and thank you for joining me and being my guest. So please, could you introduce yourself? Yes, absolutely. So I'll go ahead and introduce myself the way that we normally do in Fridays for Future and uh, many other social movements uh, for that matter, which is my name, my pronouns, and in what capacity I'm here today. So hi, my name is Katarina. I use she, her pronouns, and I work with Fridays for Future USA. Thank you so much for inviting us onto your podcast. Okay, so please, could you tell me more about your organization? Sure. Fridays for Future is an international youth-led climate protest movement. We began in August of 2018 after 15-year-old Greta Thunberg sat in front of the Swedish parliament every school day for three weeks to protest against the lack of action on the climate crisis. Since then, chapters have sprung up all over the world. Each chapter organizes themselves, but we try to stay connected and we have three main overarching goals that guide everything every chapter does. And that's keep the global temperature rise below 1.5 degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial levels, follow the Paris Agreement and ensure climate justice, and listen to the best United Science currently available. Anyone can join or start a chapter as long as they align with the vision and values of the movement, though we strongly encourage especially young children to get involved and not be afraid to take the lead. Great, that's amazing that you have such an amazing goals. And as you know, currently US is back being of Paris Agreement. So how do you feel? (laughs) It makes me incredibly happy, especially after the last four years. I am very glad to see an administration that realizes the importance of the task ahead and the urgency of massive action. And that they've realized that climate action is not at odds with other top priorities, and that actually goes hand in hand and thus has to be considered in all decisions. And um, maybe quickly for those who don't know about the Paris Agreement, it was an agreement that came out of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change's 21st Conference of Parties in December of 2015. Um, It's an international agreement to keep global warming well under 2 degrees Celsius, though with a goal of 1.5 degrees Celsius under pre-industrial levels. Um, Important, though, is that the limiting the temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius would keep humanity from facing the worst possible effects of climate change, not stop the climate crisis. And while the Paris Agreement is nowadays often considered performative because the agreement wasn't immediately binding, it was actually very radical. Getting 194 states to sign on to an agreement of that magnitude was a feat that no one thought possible. I totally and, and, 
<laughs> yeah, and even, sorry. even though so many countries signed the agreement, just to circle back to the U.S., um, that you were asking why it's so important that the U.S. is back in, even though so many countries signed the agreement, the legitimacy of the Paris Accord was impacted by the resignation of the United States, because to have the world's second largest polluter, a so-called superpower, and a global enforcer of environmental racism and colonialism not signed onto the agreement, delegitimize both the treaty and its potential impacts by giving other countries the excuse to step back on the promises they made in the treaty as well. And the thing is that the Paris Agreement allows countries to set their own initial goals, and they were meant to be ratcheted up every few years. So saying net zero by 2050 is loftier than those laid out in the Paris Agreement, like so many countries are doing at the moment, is misleading. When countries gave their initial promises back in 2015, 2016, it was clear that those would not be enough to stay below 1.5 degrees Celsius. The point was that it was a massive step to all come together and agree that we need urgent action, action to combat the climate crisis. And it was a promise to all go back and figure out how to do that best in our own countries and then come back in a few years to share how we're scaling up our own climate action. And instead, the U.S. just said, nope, too hard. We don't want to do that. And in doing so, gave other countries the justification to do the same. And the point is that it's entirely possible to be net zero earlier than 2050 and also be really close to real zero. It just takes a bit more work. So a goal of net zero by 2050 is not ambitious and it's misleading to be framed as such. And I'm just going to go on a little rant real quick because mm -hmm. not to mention that net zero is a massive potential loophole. Net zero means that we are adding and subtracting the same amount of greenhouse gases to and from the atmosphere. This means that we're still pumping CO2 into the atmosphere we're just technically sucking an equal amount back out of the atmosphere. The thing is that there's no actual way of measuring that. Companies and governments can just set up sketchy mathematical models with absurd assumptions and be net zero in air quotes. And many of the magical carbon absorption measures that are allegedly gonna do that are not proven in the least and many of them are actually dangerous. So going net zero is a short-term easy facade. We have had decades of empty promises, and it is literally vital that governments and corporations stop with empty promises and hollow words. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah. Sorry, small rant. <laughs> I totally agree with you because governments have been given so much many promises to tackle the climate change, and still they're not doing this. And I think the pandemic definitely didn't help that. Though the pandemic gave us a chance to build, to not just go back to the way things used to be because the way that things used to be was the problem. And I think people that always say, hey, let's go back to the good old, there haven't been good old days. Like societally speaking, we're doing the best that we ever have. And this, this, this crisis has been a wake-up call that we need to build our society differently and the semi-collapse is horrible for many people and i don't want to say that this is a good way to have come about but we need to take this chance to build back differently to build back green and not go back to the way things used to be yeah definitely and the, do you think the countries like norway and sweden can act as a model for other countries in terms of sustainability and being green no. Um, so no, no one country is doing enough. And before we get into legitimate problems of all this, let's just get the subject of greenwashing out of the way. 
governments do greenwashing just as much as companies do. For example, uh, I think you just mentioned Norway. Um, they largely pride themselves on being a forward-thinking climate champion, which is true on many fronts, especially when it comes to the broad ad adoption of renewable energy. The problem is that Norway is also a major fossil fuel exporter. And it is that capital that finances the environmental innovation. And to keep innovating, it needs that flow of capital in the future as well. So the way we humans have built our societal systems simultaneously forces entities such as governments to keep using the old ways of making money and allows them to hide it. The thing is that we cannot tackle these systems that are putting us in this catch-22 situation unless we face them. So the first step to large-scale change in the direction that we need is for governments to be honest about the predicaments that they're in and lay out the facts on the table, work with legit scientists to be honest about the predicaments, um, and, and also work with the Sorry, public. Uh, what do you mean by legit scientists? By the actual, <laughs> by scientists that have gone through training, that actually, that, that have um, specialties that sit down and, and, and know how, especially to look at data that, that know about statistics and that aren't self-proclaimed, that haven't read a few books and then are, and then are self-proclaimed ones that, um, believe in science, scientific integrity that, that aren't bought to, to be set to, to say one certain thing or another that aren't swayed by the outcome that they want any research or maybe even their own research to have before they go in the ones that can objectively look at facts and tell us where we are mm -hmm. no it's true definitely and um so uh coming back to the question about Norway and sweden so you said that it's all about the government and doing their job right yeah so do, the government's being honest about the um about about the catch-22 that we're in and how we're going to move forward um and that up to now it's legitimate we have been a carbon economy up to now it is very clear that they cannot just turn a dime and suddenly be making enough money out of the um products and systems that we need without somehow producing uh, like creating those first so that's entirely clear the problem is that it should not be covered up and made to appear otherwise which is what greenwashing is though to lighten it up real quick the fact that governments feel like they need to appear green is in itself a sign that public sentiment is changing so um, certain countries are leading the way on certain sectors and types of regulation but no one country is changing across the board mostly because it requires a lot to change the running systems that I've been talking about. Um, and they do have to balance many considerations, a large one of which is the economy. Most governments cannot simply do what is best out of a climate uh, perspective without sufficient groundwork. So for instance, if a government wants to shut down a pipeline, they have to take into account that the country on the other side of the pipeline supplying that fossil fuel will be upset because they're counting on those exports. And so a simple decision to do the right thing became uh, becomes a trade dispute, right? Or if a government wants to shut down coal mines, they have to take into account all of the thousands of jobs that are going to be lost and the people that that will throw into hardship, um, the identities of those people that will be lost, the fact that they are then feeding the narrative that, like in this example, the coal miners are climate villains. And, and there's there, there are plenty more examples. But the thing is, they're examples. They're not excuses. For instance, the two countries can agree that fossil fuels are harming both of their countries and find something else to trade 
but that something else to find, takes time to find together. Or for instance, the coal miners can be offered renewable energy jobs, but those other jobs take time to set up, right? So there are surmountable issues that, that, that can be overcome, but they require ample work of head of t- ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And they require, they require, and are in themselves a systems change. It requires a system that lets government officials do the right thing and not face backlash, which means that citizens are educated and activated and support green transformation and aren't afraid of change simply because it's different. It means, and, and that also means that industries are doing the right thing and making, uh, and so they're doing the right thing and making a profit and they realize they're not at odds because both demand from citizens and the regulations from governments punish bad behavior. So it's an intermittent intertwined process that requires us all. So I think real quickly to come back to your original question, no one country can be a model, but each one has to take a good hard look at itself and figure out why it's doing what it's doing and how it can change. And especially change in a way that's a win-win situation. This isn't about whether we want to save the polar bears or use a straw anymore. The changes needed will ultimately benefit everyone except for the fossil fuel elites that are currently in power. When we come together to realize that there are many more of us that want a better future than those that are clinging onto the way things used to be, we can make that that change happen together. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, I just want to ask you one additional question. So what an individual like you and I can do to help to promote all the three things that you are uh, like yes. for? <laughs> Absolutely, and that is education and activation. Everyone doing their part in their private lives to reduce their impact is vital. But unfortunately, that alone is not enough to stop the escalation of the climate crisis. I've talked quite a bit about societal systems and that goes for people and countries all over the world. And so I don't wanna do much repeating on that, but it is really important to realize that a person can only do as good as the system they're in allows them to. You have to realize that when you're trying to do your best, you're having to choose the lesser evil, not the good. You can reasonably only choose between what's in the supermarket, right? Even if I wanted unpacked regionally produced goods and I could pay for them, um, I can only buy them if they're there, if they're an option that I have when I go to the supermarket. Even if I don't want to take my car everywhere or heat my apartment with gas, if there are no alternatives, then I don't have a choice. So a huge first step is that we need to be aware of the choices that are not really our own choices and make it clear to governments and corporations that if they take a step towards better action, that they'll actually be met with support. And this is super important because the fossil fuel industry, due to its lucrativity, has been heavily subsidized. Right. So the government and corporate propaganda tells us that we are to blame because we allegedly want all those dirty products that we have no choice but to use. So they attack us with the consumer demand argument, but any basic economic model functions on the concept of demand and supply. But in the case of the fossil fuels, they refuse to talk of supply. The truth is that we aren't asking for fossil fuels. They are simply the only materials provided because of how much money they make. So we have to put pressure on elected officials to do the right thing and show them support when they do. We have to put pressure on companies doing the wrong things for profit and show them that doing the right thing and making profit aren't at odds with one another. And then for that to be the case, though, we need that systemic shift. 
And that may sound like this big thing that you cannot impact, but what it actually means is that you hold the power because to change everything, we need everyone. Wow, that's amazing. And how you yourself like became a climate activist, how did you become interested in the environment? So I um, was at university back in Berlin, Germany, and their Fridays for Future is, uh, it started, as I said, in Sweden, and it's, um, it's, it's very large in Europe, and especially in Germany. And so I was one that was at university, was in all of the, like the various um, groups and stuff like that. And one of them was, and I've always been concerned about society and about people around me and what we can do. And it's always been, I've always been trying to figure out what it is that I can do to add benefit to society. And, um, um, and I don't know, like the environment had never really been, had never really been a big thing that I had, um, that I thought that I could change much. But then when I joined this group and I realized how dire the situation actually was, and like I said, that it's not about polar bears and straws anymore, that I, that had just never been clear to me. And so it was, and I was working as an event manager anyway. And so I was like, let's just organize demonstrations. Let's go. And we need to, and everybody needs to know this. I think because it was my own awakening that I was, I didn't realize how bad the situation is for us humans. I was like, everybody needs to know this, right? Isn't everybody awake? Why isn't everybody out on the streets? Why the, the systems that we have are systems that we built. They're not like the laws of physics, right? Where if we decided that we don't want to fall down when we fall down, we want to fall up. Like we can't change that. But if we don't want to live in the systems that we've created, then we can change them. So I, it's just one of those things I've never really understood why if so many people want to change a system, why we don't just change it. Okay, no, that's great. And that's just, you're so rebellious and young and you're doing these things and uh, like you awakened and I think it's really important right now to be awakened. So, and one of your demands is that is of your corporation is ensuring climate justice and equity. So what do you mean by that? So climate change impacts us all but not equally so. The effects of climate change often have disproportionate effects on historically marginalized and underserved communities. So climate justice begins with recognizing key groups are differently affected by climate change. Generally, many victims of climate change also have disproportionately low responsibility for causing the emissions responsible for climate change in the first place. Particularly, particularly youth or people of any age living in developing countries that produce fewer emissions per capita than is the case in the major polluting countries. And then on top of that, climate impacts often exacerbate the inequitable societal conditions that are already there. So low-income communities, people of color, indigenous people, people with disabilities, older or very young people, all can be susceptible to the risks posed by climate impacts like raging storms and floods, increasing wildfire, severe heat, poor air quality, access to food and water, and disappearing shorelines. So the situation is not only unfair, it will hinder us from creating the change we need, to, um, we need and then that will ultimately harm us all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. 
And uh, so, you know, like the people live in the cities and mostly I think they use gas and coal and alternative sources of energy are quite expensive. So what are the alternatives to that to be more sustainable? Yeah, so there are actually a lot of alternatives. And the thing is that during the past decade, natural gas has been the predominant energy source. Coal is getting rare and expensive and has long been seen as harmful for the environment. So, and the thing is that the pace of renewable energy process has been much faster than most people expected, especially things like solar and wind. So the price of renewable energy has been falling so fast that it's below that of natural gas in many places. And the main reason that we even still have natural gas energy is just because those plants and infrastructure are there. But the price drop of renewables means that existing natural gas plants today could become uncompetitive well before their expected lifespan. So when expanding energy capabilities, it is definitely cheaper to build renewable energy plants than fossil fuel ones. And according to recent forecasts, it'll be cheaper to build new re renewable energy production plus storage facilities than to operate existing natural gas plants by 2035, which is a major development that no one saw coming this, this quickly. So the belief that switching to greener sources of energy is too expensive is fossil fuel propaganda that has largely been debunked by current science. It is not money that we're lacking. It is the concerted effort to get up and do the work to shift our economy to a green economy that we need. So, but I think that, again, it depends on the country you are in, because obviously, I mean, in US, maybe it's the case, but I don't think that this is the case in Kazakhstan, because a lot of people in Kazakhstan are actually fueling their houses on coal, and it's quite cheap here, and uh, building an infrastructure such as the solar energy panels or geothermal plants is quite expensive, and unfortunately, um, in, in, not accessible to people here. Which is that system that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. For uh, the general, if you looked at it in the aggregate, I do not believe that, I don't know the numbers in Kazakhstan, but I do not believe that there, um, if you looked at the aggregate, it would actually be that much more expensive for the country as a whole to switch. Yes, that's the problem. It is expensive for you. It is expensive for each individual one. Of course, you're going to choose coal. Of course, you're going to choose natural gas because there the infrastructure is there because you just, you know, you go and you pay a little bit and then you get your energy, which is vital, which is important. And that's, that's what I mean. And that, but then they turn around and and it's your fault because you're using coal, because you're using natural gas. When we need government and entities and us to come together to build those structures so that we can all have the option of switching to solar or to wind or to um, to, to all the other renewable energies that are that are coming up, but that definitely aren't as big as solar and wind. So you are completely correct for the individual in a lot of countries that haven't taken that step to come together to build the infrastructure, um, then yes, it is It is sadly yeah. cheaper for a lot of individuals to stick with, um, with fossil fuels. Well, I guess, again, as you said at the beginning, the countries like US and the Europe in total are example to other countries in terms of environment and sustainability and other countries would follow them, obviously. Yeah, yeah and also I'm so sorry for my voice. I've just been ill for the past week. <laughs> I hope you're feeling better now. You don't yeah. you don't look ill at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. And also 
could you give like a little put for thought for the listeners uh, just maybe your favorite book or a quote that you like about the environment sure so i don't do much book reading just because i do so much general reading all the time mm-hmm. i do love audiobooks though and especially i've jumped on the podcast train lately and there are so yeah. <laughs> um, and there are so many good podcasts out there of course there's this one but i binge uh for instance how to save a planet from gimlet media which is amazing and they go and ex- they they explain the concepts of climate change but not in a way like let's look at this fact and let's look at that fact but they really they explain it in a way and they go and organize and, and they go and they bring it into all kinds of things so it's not really just climate change it's kind of like all kinds of delving in and exploring the whole concept a little bit more in a way that actually is really fun to listen to and it's not like a scientific climate change podcast so I really I can I can only and their and their intro song is amazing it's my little happy dance every, every Friday so I can I can definitely um I can recommend that one and I don't know um is this so I don't know when exactly this is going to be airing but um on March 19th so Fridays for Future does this thing work because we have um chapters all over the world mm-hmm. every few months we have a global climate strike and the next one, and that's where all of the um, local groups across the entire world all go out and strike on the same day. And normally we also have the same message or we're aligned in, you know, in some, in some sort of over- overarching way, mm-hmm. though each local group still or, or national group still tries to focus on, on relevant issues in their area. Um, and our next one is on March 19th, 2021. Nice. So, yes, <laughs> anybody who has a um, Fridays for Future group in their area, definitely join or start one. Um, we are always here to support people who, who want to start that don't know how. And um, our, our topic is no more empty promises on, mm-hmm. on March 19th. Um, so because the politicians in power continue to, to deliver on those vague empty promises with far off dates that are way too late that I was mentioning before. So we're going to go out and demand, well, it's probably also, most places are going to be digital. So we're <laughs> going to virtually go out and demand the concrete and immediate action to align with the science. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot of digital rallies. Yeah. A few people might go out and socially distance with signs or do some sort of like banner drops or lay something on the street or something like that. But mostly anybody, especially because we're all digital, it's maybe not quite the same as being out, but it gives a lot more people the chance to take part. So mm-hmm. if there's ever, if you've ever wanted to take part in a Fridays for Future digital rally but couldn't get there now's your chance because it's almost all going to be online anyway so um climate crisis is here and it's only going to get worse so we need everyone to take part hold the governments and their corporations accountable and um yeah step in get activated you don't have to become a crazy full-time activist just speak up and and hold just contribute every contribution matters Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. The more people talk about it, the more mainstream it is. Like we were saying, the fact that corporations and governments feel like they need to be like, at least pretend like they're green, that they need to appear green already means that we're changing mm-hmm. the society. The thing is, we just don't have the time to have it take a hundred years for us to, you know, realize yeah. that we, that we need, that we need a green system. We are literally in the decisive decade. It is literally yeah. this. Decade. We definitely so, need to change that the corporations are moving the world and Everyone yes. needs to be fair and honest about their job. 
the yes, bed. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kat, that you've been on my podcast and it's been really nice talking to you and thank you for explaining everything. And I hope everyone who listens to that going to join your online rally. <laughs> thank you. I hope to see you there. And thank you so much for inviting me on. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you.